This episode of Asians Represent is brought to you by our amazing supporters at patreon.com slash aznsrepresent and the OneShot Podcast Network. Join our Discord community by heading to aznsrepresent.com. This is episode 63, and I am joined by a very special guest, uh, Chris of Pink City, and, and many other things. I wanted to start with a little introduction about our guest and a story about how I learned about him and his, <laughs> his brand. In, I think it was 20, 2018, or 2017 wow. or 2018, I was at Fan Expo Toronto, and I was... I was meeting up with um, a friend of mine who who you know, uh, I would assume you know uh, Jessica Langer, of like oh uh, yeah okay. like yeah, Stormcrow yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and yeah, yeah. Um, Roll for Damage, yeah. and Jessica wanted to like meet up with me and wanted me to like wonderful meet person her, meet her kids wonderful person, yeah. and uh, funny enough her um, kids were wearing Pink City gear oh uh, yeah I was like I was yes. like oh my god like. What is that? And then they like pointed to like your big ass booth at Fan Expo, and that was kind of like my introduction to it. And I was like, "Oh shit!" And then, like I looked, I That's looked cool. you up, and I was like, "Oh, Asian owned, like low Oost Toronto," because I, <laughs> I can only think of two sort of um, sort of like pop culture inspired apparel brands, lifestyle brands, I guess, that are based in Toronto, yeah. like you and another one called Sora. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, which until recently I didn't really know they were local. Yeah, I I know them from TikTok. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, I just like I I found them on TikTok and I was like, oh my god! And they did a Spy Family drop, and I, I had to get one. That's awesome. But yeah, Pink City and Sora are the only two Asian-owned lifestyle brands that kind of focus on pop culture. And I'm just really happy that I personally know you. Oh man, um, I'm happy to know you. Man. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I think we we make. And not just like you and I, but like the community. I think we make, we lift each other up and we make each other better, right? We challenge yes. each other to to grow and stuff. And I know, you know, you do a lot of this, not just as an owner of a brand, but also as like, you're a, like a community leader. I think that's a, a good way to say it. I think you're a community yeah, leader. Yeah, I, I, I hear that a lot. And it, every time I hear it, I'm like, oh, wow, that, that is a title that I guess I am. That, yeah. <laughs> you, you, you look, you like, you connect people and that's like a really yeah. important role to have. Plus you, you make spaces, right? Not only do you, you know, have these booths and stuff, but you also like host parties and events. Yeah. And while like parties and events aren't for everyone, they are important for people who are really social, but want to meet others. Yeah. Right. Um, now that said, before we kind of dive into the topic, I want I want to hear an introduction from you. I want to hear who you are. Oh, I know the audience <laughs> wants to hear this. I, I want you to tell us like why you're awesome because I think you're awesome. Oh, I oh, appreciate that. Uh, yeah, it's 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 always funny talking about it because I feel like I do so much stuff. Um, but yes, I'm Chris Tung. Uh, uh, I think what I'm most known for is, as you said, uh, PinkCity.ca, which is an anime, gaming, streetwear brand. Uh, from Toronto, Canada, uh, that I started with my brother, actually, uh, my brother Mike, um, uh, eight years ago, which is wild to think that it's been that long. It's been that long, um, Mike. Wow. Yeah, yeah. 20, 2014 uh, is when we first uh, launched, uh, July 14th. Um, so that's what I'm mostly known for. And then, like, all the adjacent, like, nerdy things related to that. 
Um, I also uh, edit and produce a TTRPG podcast called Super Journey Dudes, uh, which currently I am GMing the the next season, which we're filming, which is exciting. Um, and then my day job, I do video stuff, and I'm a I, people don't know this, but I'm I, I'm a quote unquote filmmaker uh, to a degree. I only um, recently learned this. <laughs> yeah, well, a lot of people don't know this about me, apparently. Uh, and then, like, as soon as people in like the cosplay community and stuff learn about it, they're like, "Oh, how come you don't do like cosplay videos and stuff?" And I'm like, "Oh, when I go to a con, I want to just like have fun and not." Yeah, how would I have fun? Thing. I want to network. I don't want to work every single yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, I, uh, video stuff is like my my day job, um, and and I'm still passionate about all things film. Um, um, but yeah, those are those are some cool things that I do. Uh, very trying to get very involved in the in the tabletop uh, community now uh, mm-hmm. since uh, 2019 and then uh, uh, pandemic I've been leaning more into playing and and GMing and doing that stuff and and really storytelling I think mm-hmm. is what it comes down to and I guess we'll, we'll talk about stories and how important they are but uh, I think at my core I am a storyteller you know whether it's film um, or uh, these fashion. Games, like, Fashion, fashion, yeah, yeah. Every every uh, design is a story in itself. Um, yeah, so I would say, yeah, storytelling is a is a thing that I love. Yeah, to do. You're you're Chris Tung. You're a storyteller with many <laughs> talents, and you tell stories through a lot of different mediums. But that is why you're here. You and I, um, we met in person for the first time at Fan Expo this year. Yes, you are, and I'll say this: you are the only person that I actively sought out to meet. I didn't like, oh, I kind wow. of was, I was there to do like a, like a live show, but I knew you were going to be there. And I was like, I got to meet Chris. Oh, what an honor. I got to meet honor. Chris. I'm not even <laughs> shitting you. Like I, I was like, <laughs> not hard to find. Our booth is not uh, hard to find. Yeah. yeah. Pretty big uh, presence. It was, the con was really overwhelming for me. It was like a lot of people, yeah. but I, especially yeah. the artist alley. And I was like, okay, oh, it's going yeah. to be Chris. Literally after you and I like met a bit, I still regret not taking a photo with you. I know. I, I literally left, went I like, to like <laughs> find quiet space and I was like, oh my God. I was like, this is too much. There are too many people here. And yeah. I got trapped, like try in a crowd trying to get to an escalator. It was, oh, I it heard was it was, what it, uh, you, you came in on the Saturday, right? That was like, the, on Saturday. Heard, yeah, that was the worst day I heard. I, I didn't really leave my booth, but like for that reason, but I heard trying to get anywhere that oh. day was impossible. It was it was rough, and I had to like get to a quiet place to also do a meeting because I did a, a I was on Zoom doing a meeting for like Motherland's RPG while yeah. at Fan Expo because I was like I can't bail on this meeting, so I like found a chair, sat in the corner by a bathroom, and was doing a Zoom meeting on my phone. Gosh, but how did you even get like reception? <laughs> I work really hard, but yeah. I was just really happy that we got to connect and kind of that you agreed to do this episode because. You're right, like stories are super important. In prepping for this, I was kind of asking myself questions that like, like, this is a big deviation from our usual content. Normally people come and they're like, oh, you know, we talk about tabletop RPGs or issues that are like directly related to tabletop RPGs. But we never talk about deeply personal things. Sometimes they emerge in Mm -hmm. conversations, like when we talk about, you know, racism and the model minority myth. But we never really talk about our families. But in prepping for this, and actually in like watching a short film that you had sent me that you had made in university, Mm. it really got me thinking about, you know, the importance of stories, because, you know, storytelling is a 
it's a universal practice. Uh, you know, stories are meant to, you know, entertain. I've told a lot of stories about my mishaps on this podcast. They're meant to inform, you know, we, you know, we talk about the lessons we've learned in real life. Uh, stories are also meant to, you know, pass on cultural values and traditions, you know, as Asians, you know, it's a, it's a big thing. Like storytelling is a big part of growing up and, you know, prior to kind of us starting the topic, you, you mentioned like, what are, I don't know about the legitimacy of these questions, but <laughs> stories, whether or not they're legitimate or not, are meant to teach. They're meant to kind of bring cohesion to a community, right? Uh, I have an example of this like story and it's, it's interesting because in doing some research for this episode, the side of the family I thought I knew more about was actually the one I knew nothing about. Oh. And I don't know too much about my dad's side of the family, but one story always sticks out and it's my, my dad's younger sister. And I don't know if that's still the case, but when we were growing up, firmly believed that my brother could see spirits. Oh, firmly okay. believed that my brother could see spirits and would tell this story about us being at a cottage. I never remember going to a cottage when we were, we were young like that, but <laughs> her waking up in the middle of the night. And I guess she, she described it as like seeing my brother standing on his bed and staring at like, like the, the upper corner of the ceiling and saying, okay. terrifying yeah. that he could see spirits. <laughs> And apparently, like, she has the sight, too, and was like, Jamie has the sight. Jamie can see spirits. And, like, my entire life, I was like, this is bullshit. But yeah. what for does me, Jamie was, like, think of this? I don't even think he remembers. <laughs> yeah. I don't even think he remembers. That's an interesting thing, because, like, for me, it was, like, seeing, hearing that story very much reinforced the fact that, like, my dad's side of the family is very superstitious. Um, my brother doesn't really care that much about learning our family's history. And there's like nothing on him for that. Um, you know, he's very focused on like the now and the, and the future. And for me, this kind of stuff is really important because it informs the work that I do, whether it be like writing or, you know, um, like consulting or, or even telling stories or having something interesting. Uh, for me, I um, telling, uh, hearing about these family stories really drove in how much they've impacted my work. Um, I wanted to ask you before we kind of dive into like our, our work and our stories in our community. Yeah. I wanted to ask for your thoughts on sort of why stories are important. I kind of said, you know, stories are important because, you know, they kind of, you know, they entertain, they inform, they kind of pass on tradition and belief. But I want to know if, if there's anything else that you would add to that. Like, why are stories important? Stories that our parents tell us, but also stories that, like, we tell. Yeah. Um, I think what, what you've said about stories, like, I agree with all of that. Like, it is all those things and more. Um, uh, I think in particular with, like, you know, if we're talking about the frame of, like, Asian stories and stuff yeah. and, like, and that, like, like it, I think it is important for folks who don't see themselves uh, represented uh in you know various medias or or ways you know that they would like to be um seeing or hearing stories that they can relate to uh that they can uh you know draw their own experiences from uh 
it's very important uh, to just feel seen as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, to feel like you're not alone in the experiences that you experience in your life. Um, I think many, uh, many stories are very universal, um, uh, which is why we have such like archetypal stories, uh, you know, throughout uh, humankind. Um, but uh, I mean, they, they stand the test of time for reasons, right? Uh, yeah. I think, that's I, I think you bring out a really good point there. Like we're drawn to stories that we see ourselves reflected in, yeah. right? You know, when uh, you mentioned everything everywhere all at once. Oh my goodness. <laughs> to, to this day, probably now one of like my favorite films of all time. Yeah, directed think. by Daniel Kwan. No big deal. <laughs> yeah, this guy right here. <laughs> <laughs> um, I still get DMs about that Daniel Kwan occasionally. <laughs> so I, yeah, because he, he disappeared off Twitter for a little bit. He took a bit of a Twitter break. Yeah, they just uh, have the Daniels Twitter. Yeah. Uh, so that's funny that you, you get... Uh, I'm uh, the top Daniel Kwan. <laughs> but <laughs> no, you're, you're right. It's like we're, we're drawn to those stories. I mean, yeah. it's a it's an incredible film, just like from a filmmaking sp- perspective. But to folks like like you and I, it is important on like a whole other level because those are yeah. like the characters we don't get to see. There are I also the production stories too, right? Yeah, yeah. You see an actor yeah. come back from essentially a retirement. Oh man, oh, so amazing too. Just like to to take that much time away from. Uh, acting and to come back and to be that good is just so impressive yeah. and uh, just so touching. Um, but yeah, yeah that's so like he, something... he left acting because there were no rules for him. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And now, and... just like you said, there are more stories being told that are relatable. And he was like, well, I guess I'll do this. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's uh, definitely a, probably a big reason why stories like that, uh, even like Turning Red. Um, oh, even like God, something like Encanto, uh, these stories that like people really feel seen uh, by watching. Like, I mean, I feel like it's like the the kids that you know uh, grew up with like these immigrant families and these like generational stories, you know, and you know, of course like the, the theme of generational trauma and stuff um, are finally growing up and then getting to a place where they can make can movies tell, and tell, tell stories. stories. Yeah, yeah, which is why we're seeing so much of that. Uh, but like, it's it's for a reason, right? It's because. Uh, this is a story that, you know, many people relate to. And like, I know so many, uh, you know, fellow Asian people who, who watched something like Turning Red or everything, uh, everywhere all at once. And, and we're like, wow, like this, I've never really seen a movie that really nailed it like this did. Um, I, and that's how I, I, saw I felt too. so many Turning Red group costumes. Oh, so good. So <laughs> many of those on, on social media. And it was it was touching to see it. I was like, oh, this is so yeah. cool. I saw yeah. also saw a lot of everything everywhere all at once. No, yeah. you're absolutely right. Like people. Infinite possibilities with that. Infinite one. possibility. Yeah, <laughs> really. definitely with that one. But yeah, people are drawn to stories that we see ourselves reflected in. And you make that point of people getting to that age where we are now encouraged to use media to tell these stories and yeah. insert our stories and experiences into fiction. I think across the board, like as a writer or a storyteller, uh, whether like cognizant of it or not, like uh, your own life experiences, like I feel like always like find a way in your work. Um, yeah. And then obviously in, in some cases, like more intentional, but uh, that's, you know, again, a reason why we're probably seeing a lot more of that. Absolutely. Um, and I mean, that's awesome. what we were going to talk about today. I, I wanted to start with an example of my own work because it's a super obvious one. So I uh, I got to write a part of this any award winning game, uh, Jiangsu, <laughs> Blood in the Banquet Hall, 
So hey. um, Banana and Sinfung kind of brought me on this project because they knew that I had some sort of familial connections to like the sort of history of Chinatown in Toronto, uh, but also sort of like restaurants. And I have all of these photos that I have of my mother's side of the family. So sort of quick story here, and we'll kind of go back and forth. My, um, my grandfather, my maternal grandfather, was, was born in China. <laughs> and he, as a baby, was sold. So him and his siblings were all sold to different families who wanted sons. And um, wow. he got split up from his, his, his brothers. I actually have an old photo of, and I'm going to share videos and pictures of this on our Patreon, but I actually have an old photo of my grandfather, and I'll send you more pictures of these, and his adopted, his adopted uh, purchasing father um, in China. But he was sold as a, he was sold as a baby and then eventually came to Canada as what they call a, uh, a paper son. Have you ever heard that term? No, I don't think so. So at around the time, like our grandparents, um, people our grandparents age would be coming to Canada and the United States. Not everybody could come. You had yeah. to be working uh, or you had to be like related to somebody who was already there. And oftentimes people couldn't do that. Right? They didn't have family who was already there. And they would pay people to essentially pretend to be your family. And you would have to learn an entire fake history. Uh, and my grandfather's father came to Canada as somebody's paper son. And because he did, my grandfather could not be brought into Canada as his adopted father's true son. Yeah. So he had to come as like a paper son. And basically, um, we'll talk about this more, but wow. when he came to Canada, he, like many, you know, sort of Chinese people, worked in a laundromat uh, because a laundromat was where you could sleep even if you didn't have a place. Mm -hmm. um, it, was, it was like a typical immigrant story. But anyways, he ended yeah. up opening up restaurants. And I have all these photos of them. He opened up a place called Danny's Restaurant. And uh, Danny's Restaurant is one of the early Chinese restaurants in Toronto. And oh, if you're a local cool. in Toronto, the building is still there. It's at DuPont and Christie. I, what is it now? I don't remember what it is now. My mom was telling me uh, the other day. But I have all these so photos scary. of it. So like I have photos of the original restaurant. Um, I have like photos of my, my grandma at that restaurant. Um, I have these grainy ass black and white photos of my mom and her brother working at the restaurant. Like I have these grainy black and white photos of them wow. behind the counter. And if That's you look so cool. closely enough at them, they actually have two menus. Uh, they have a menu that's like Chinese food, and then they have a menu that's basically like white people food. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it is so interesting. And I learned so much about this. And ultimately, I ended up using a lot of this as inspiration for when I was doing research on the Chinatowns that I would write in Jiangxi. Mm. Um, to kind of go back to my like grandpa, we found this small photo of him. 
and I was like, what is this? And it's this like grainy sort of silver <laughs> nitrate photo. I'll share it later. It's hard to see um, yeah. on, on stream, but I'll share photos of it on our Patreon and I'll send them to you, Chris. But I asked what it was and my, my mom said that that was a photo of his biological brother, like his biological oh. brothers. And they were able to like reunite. Um, and when I asked how, my mom told this story of this thing that my grandpa's family in China did, his adopted family. And they, I shit you not, they call it the hand. Like, like you know, like Ninja Turtles, <laughs> like yeah, the hand? Yeah. Say, yeah, they call it the hand. And I was like, what, what are the hand? And that, it's like this analogy. So you give your hand and you have four fingers and one thumb. And this whole thing was the four fingers get to go to Canada and the thumb has to stay in China and support the family. Mm. And so my grandpa was one of like the fingers who got to yeah. go to, to Canada. And I thought that was super interesting and immediately was like, I'm going to write this into a game one day. <laughs> um, but I found this other photo and, he reunited. There are fewer less, fewer people here, but he reunited that's, with his brothers again. This is the one I shared with you. Yeah, that's and I was awesome. like, and I was like, what is this photo? Because it's my grandpa. He's he's older. He's it looks like he's in his seventies here. It's my grandpa with three other older Chinese dudes standing over a dirt mound. And I was <laughs> like, what is this? And then I turn it over, and there's literally like a a a piece of paper taped to the back, and in ballpoint pen it says. Bro, nephew, younger bro, mother's grave. Wow! And I was like, "This so, is powerful." They reunite shit. in their old, like when they were much older, or they is were that... reunited. So they, I guess, they found each other when they were younger, and then reunited. It would appear to be one last time with the oh, remaining sort of family when yeah. they were older at their wow. biological mother's grave. It's unmarked wow. grave. Um. Wow. I have, interestingly enough, my mom found these uh, charcoal drawings of my grandfather's birth parents. Like they are the oh, wow. only images that we have. Wow. <laughs> are they good drawings? <laughs> They're good. They're really good. They're oh, wow. really good. Um, I'm going to try to take some That's photos so cool. of them tomorrow. Yeah, no, I'd love to see those. But they're really good. And so for me, it's like I've constantly worked to take my grandfather's sort of story his journey of like owning restaurants owning he owned like a pro taiwan newspaper in like toronto oh, wow. he, was, he was like he was like um uh i have pictures of it too well, he's almost like uh one of like just the ogs he's like, one of the ogs just, yeah so there's this newspaper like, in toronto called xinhua xinhua daily news okay and my grandpa after he stopped working at the laundromat actually worked I mean, I have, I still have, I have photos of him driving like this car for the laundromat. But he, where is it? There's this. Oh, here he is. I found these photos of my grand. Oh, this one's better. Photos of my grandpa, like kneeling. He's dressed like like Peter Pan. Um, he's got this like vest. He's got the socks high up. That's cool. He worked for this newspaper as a paper boy, and he became in love with like Taiwan's cause. He became super like pro Taiwan and he eventually ended up starting all these restaurants and making like a shit ton of money. 
and he bought this pro Taiwan newspaper. Wow. What a great uh, success story. <laughs> it, it folded later on, but he yeah, became but... deeply obsessed with, with like the, the Taiwanese movement. He yeah. traveled to Taiwan a lot, but he owned a pro Taiwan newspaper in Toronto. Wow. And it actually cool. caused a lot of tension in my family. Oh, I can see. Yeah. A my lot of dad's, people are not agreeing. My dad's side of the family is very pro China. Yeah. And um, I found out that my dad's dad, for a time, worked at the pro Taiwan newspaper because he couldn't get a job Whoa. when my grandpa owned it. And it's just like some wild shit. Yeah. And you, I've learned, mo- I learned most of these stories within the past week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like most of these That's really awesome. wild stories. But the restaurant stuff was really important to me because it was like, why do you, why would you start a restaurant? Well, you start a restaurant because even if you don't have business and you aren't making money, you have food. Yeah. And also just fascinating that he, it seems like that's, that's so foundational to the Chinese community in Toronto. It must have been at least. Apparently, um, they were like when my grandmother, so my, my maternal grandmother passed away, there was like some sort of like parade or like a funerary parade or something. It was like a really big deal. Um, mm-hmm. The same, same could be said for like my, my grandpa, my dad's side of the family, but that's a whole other story. But I had no other way to really honor my grandparents. Like, I don't want to have kids. I don't speak Chinese very well. Mm-hmm. I'm like your typical CBC. Yeah. I'm like your typical CBC. I was born here. I, I went to China for the first time in my, in my 20s. And I've never been to the original village. Never been to Hong Kong. Um, closest I got was like going to like living in Guangzhou for a bit. But I have all these regrets, and this is kind of where I wanted to hand off yeah. to you. I, I, I have actually re- something very similar. Um, I have all these regrets of like yeah. not learning about my family enough, not learning Chinese enough to be able to talk to my dad's grandparents. Yeah, I was actually just going to say that. Like, one one huge regret that I'll probably have like throughout my whole Forever. life because yeah, because I I don't think I'll ever get there. Is like. I'll never be able to like really have like a deep conversation with my grandparents, my living grandparents, yeah. uh, because there's that language barrier. Um, you know, I, I can exchange little, you know, things here and there, like in, in small talk uh, from the little uh, Mandarin that I do know. Yeah. Um, and I can understand a, a good amount just from, from exposure, but I don't think I could ever uh, know my grandparents to, to a deep level because of that barrier and that's just something mm-hmm. like i regret like i'll never be able to to, to you know uh, have that experience or that relationship with my grandparents and and a lot of that is um i feel like attributed to i mean like when when i was younger i'm i I'm, maybe you have the same experience like my parents brought me to chinese school every saturday for um, me it was sunday oh uh, yeah and obviously as a kid like you absolutely hated that like that's the last thing i want to do on saturday i want to watch my Saturday morning cartoons. I don't want to get up mm-hmm. for like a 9 a.m. Chinese class. Um, so very much throughout my youth, I, I rejected the Chinese school. I, I, I pushed it uh, as much as I could. And we, we didn't get very far. And eventually we stopped going. But, you know, that's a big regret. Like never uh, really pursuing that. Um, and I mean, maybe now I could like, you know, learn Mandarin now. But like, I, I don't think same. I could ever. Yeah, it's not the same. And like, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's very sad. I feel the same way because, like, my grandparents. So my my 
the grandpa that I've been talking about, he speaks English. Um, so like, I've got to know him a lot. Like he learned mm -hmm. how to speak English by working at a movie theater as like an attendant at the movie theater. And he learned English by watching John Wayne movies, like cowboy movies. <laughs> it's like, it's really weird. And he didn't um, develop an accent? <laughs> no, no, he didn't. Which is honestly, I'm a little disappointing. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. like when, when I first learned that he learned English by watching like Westerns, I was like, I knew he'd love Westerns. I was like, when I found out he, it helped him learn English, I was like, yo, why is my grandpa not saying y'all all the time? Yeah, yeah. Like, why doesn't he like, yeah, never, never happened. But like my dad's parents, they speak Toisan, which is like a, like a village, almost like a village dialect of Cantonese. Mm -hmm. Cantonese. Oh, my God, my English there for a second of like Cantonese. <laughs> and I'm never going to learn how to speak that. Yeah, I'm never going to know how to speak that. And they're getting to that age where. I'll, I, even if I had a way of learning, I don't think I would have enough time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and I could never get to a level that that would be enough to have like a deep conversation. Yeah, I um, it makes me so sad. So like, you know, working in games and getting opportunities to work on Chinese themed games like Junction are really special to me because it's an opportunity to write those stories. And it's mm -hmm. an opportunity to like even though I can't speak the language pass on their stories to another generation even through fiction yeah i i feel like that's probably a, a shared experience with a lot of uh you know american born chinese or, Ameri or canadian born or any anyone who had like immigrant parents mm -hmm. uh who uh i think in, for me personally in my younger years it, it was very much you know a thing i didn't care about you know rejected as with the chinese school and stuff. don't like the food like, is it like i don't want to eat chinese oh food? yeah i didn't yeah, i yeah, didn't want the chinese thing. food yeah yeah i think it's a very uh, similar experience that a lot of people shared uh, but now in my older years, like, or I'm old, but, uh, you know, in my 30s, in my late 20s, like, even, like, in around, like, university, like, learning more about my culture and finally accepting that and, like, uh, appreciating where I came from, uh, it just feels like I have so much to catch up on. Yeah. Uh, which is, yeah, a big reason why, like, these Asian stories are, like, uh, are so important to me now. Uh, why being on this podcast is so important to me now. Why Why movies, like, uh, turning red are so important to me now. It's just like uh, I have a lot of catching up to do, uh, and and yeah, I feel like a lot of people shared that uh, sentiment. I think there was like, I mean, I don't know about you, but I uh, grew up in very white environments. Me too. Um, yeah, I uh, my uh, from like I think kindergarten to grade four, I was in Oakville. So if anyone who's uh, familiar oh, yeah. with that, it's like a very white, very like bougie, like bubble essentially. Roncesvalles, uh, High Park. Yeah, so I I I think I internalized a lot of what other people thought about me. So like there was very much that like self hate to a degree. You mm -hmm. know, I rejected Chinese school. I didn't like the food. You know, uh, 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 all that kind of thing. Uh, which you know, looking back, it's just like that's awful. Um, but you know, as a kid, like I'm kind of very influenced by my surroundings. And then I went on to go to De La Salle, which if you're around so, in Toronto, it's a private school. It's a private Catholic school, which is yeah. mostly like Italian. And also a really white area. <laughs> yes, in a very white area. So I was very much throughout my life surrounded by by white people who, you know, treated me different, looked at me different. Um, and I internalized a lot of that. Uh, and it's funny that we were talking about like how uh, our life experiences influence our work. Because uh, just last week, 
uh, I was in like a, a a stream for uh, Going Critical, their their channel, uh, Monster Hearts Two game. Uh, we mm-hmm. played a Monster Hearts Two game, and my character. Uh, sorry if this is like a bit of a tangent, but no, no, uh, my no. character had like a Fey background, um, and I wanted to explore that like internalized like self hate or like uh like you know self esteem and like all that stuff that I uh felt when I was younger with this character in a one shot so but it was very like you know surface level but um the the character ended up being someone who had a fey background but because of his upbringing because of like the the people he was surrounded with he grew up to be a very like toxically masculine like jock character and I don't know if you know yeah. like Monster Hearts is a very like that high school it's like yeah, a high yeah. school romance game um who was very ashamed of his fey roots because you know the fey realm or whatever is very much the opposite of like you know big strong tough uh, uh, jock, um, and and thus he kind of uh, when he was in high school, uh, kind of lashed out and took that out uh, on people in in the way of bullying, where he kind of like kind of targeted people who were a little more uh, uh, looking like that or behaving like that, um, and then so the one shot itself was like a ten year later reunion, um, so I wanted to explore the the story of like someone who learned from that grew from that and uh is now older uh revisiting and having to confront people who he treated very poorly uh when he was younger uh because of all this internalized like self-hate and stuff and obviously my personal experience i never got to like that exaggerated level yeah yeah. um it it definitely informs like how i conducted myself like how uh how i lived how i i rejected a lot of the stuff in my culture back then when i was younger um so it's really nice to like and almost cathartic to to play a character like that. Um, but that that was an example of that kind of story coming out through through my work uh, very yeah. recently, <laughs> just last week. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've got I've got a, a project on the horizon. I can't talk about it yet, but I um it involves. I could say that it involves like at least the stuff that I did, like a Chinese restaurants. And I actually wrote one of like my grandfather's last Chinese restaurant into it. And I sent the editor a photo of it. I was like, I, I want this in there. Um, oh. I also named Legacy. one of the main characters. I, I also named the two of the main Chinese characters in it after my grandfather and grandmother and kind of really put their stories in it. But yeah, I'm, I'm, awesome. I, I totally vibe with what you're, you're saying. Is like, you know, you grew up in a, in a not, not surrounded by Asian people except for family, right? And yeah. you want to blend in. Like, yeah, sure, your, your family loves you and your family's there for you. But friends are important and your environment outside of your home is important. And when you don't fit in, you and you don't understand why you don't fit in, mm-hmm. kind of take steps to do that, right? You take steps to yeah. kind of shed yourself of the things. You, you can't change your appearance. You could change the clothes that you wear. You can um, you could change the food you eat. Like, I don't want to eat. I want to eat white people food, right? Yeah. Yeah, but it, the the term that I always said when I was younger, like I was like, I'm a very whitewashed. Like that's me the, too. That was a term, ba- I'm a banana, yellow on the outside, white yes. on the inside, right? Yeah, exactly. That's like and like really even like it got thing. to it, it got to points where like even like you know in school or high school, like you know uh, you know these white kids would like you know do Asian jokes and stuff, and I would go along with it. I'd laugh with it. You know that would be funny to me. And like uh, looking back, I'm like, wow, that's. That's not cool of me. <laughs> right? You like, you want to feel like, um, you want to feel better than like the other fobs. Like that was yeah, like a big yeah. thing when we were. Oh yeah. Yeah. When we were younger, right? It was just like, I'm one of the cool Asians. Cause like 
my yes. English is good. And, <laughs> and like, I'm yeah. friends with the white kids. Yeah. 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 And these other Asians who like, you know, are, are fobs fresh off the boats, like, oh, they're yeah. so like uncool. Exactly. Uh, I'm not hanging out with them. Um, yeah. Uh, I think a shared experience with a lot of people. Uh, uh, definitely a shared experience. Yeah. It was, you know, you kind of embrace this sort of, you internalize that racism and you embrace that toxicity to survive in a way in an environment where it isn't really necessary in, in many ways. Yeah. Now, but it was I, like, yeah, at, at the end of the day, also a big learning experience too, right? Like having learned from that and like grown from that and looking back, like seeing how that was damaging uh, has a positive uh, reflection on like what I can do now to like, you know, address that, be better now. Um, yeah. And that's actually where I, where I wanted to ask you a question because, you know, you and I clearly both have a lot of regrets over not embracing our culture, not embracing the lessons our families want to tell us, and we're kind of making up for lost time. And I think that one of the ways in which you're making up for lost time is kind of being your most authentic self with your brand. And I want to know about Pink City because, you know, like we did some deep dives, like I looked at your brother you and your brother are like you're you're close you're close you, you appear to be closer than my brother and i but yet you're so different yeah uh i think we share a very rare relationship uh just seeing like other people and how they interact with their siblings like we're we're actually less than a year apart in age we're irish twins as they call it mm -hmm. um for 12 days we're the same age uh mostly because i was uh, unplanned but uh, <laughs> uh yeah a mistake or a miracle however you want to uh contextualize that but uh, uh, I think because of that, we, we had a lot of the same friends, we had a lot of the same interests. So in a, in a lot of ways, we are very similar. Um, but I'm definitely more of like, you know, the artistic the route, uh, creative, um, whereas he is kind of more numbers, logistics, and, and uh, his kind of uh, career path, uh, he actually just graduated for uh, naturopathic medicine. I saw that. Um, he's going to be a naturopathic doctor, um, whereas I very much went down the artistic route, um, you know, filmmaking, storytelling, uh, fashion. Um, uh, but yeah, we, we do share a very close relationship, which, which I've seen that like a lot of siblings don't have, um, but it's been really nice. Uh, it's a very rare relationship that, that I, I wouldn't trade for the world. Um, yeah. And you, and, and you, and you co-own Pink City. Yeah. Yeah. So we've always wanted to start or like do some, like a project together. Mm -hmm. Um, um, and then Pink City ended up being that back in 2014. If you want to. Hear the origin story. I do. That's, that's what I want to hear. Like, I want to know, like, what's with the name? Like, how? Yeah. Because like, <laughs> I see your brother. I like, like, you know, creeping your social media and stuff. Like, I see, like, you, you and your brother are clearly close. Like, it's yeah. something I'm envious of. I'm not that close with my brother. We have like common interests, but I'm like you. I'm the brother who's kind of like, I've got all these regrets from childhood, and I really want to embrace my culture and embrace like my true self. And this is who my true self is. But, um, and you know, my brother is also being his truest self, but in that we, we kind of, as we grow older, kind of split. Mm. Um, but Did you I just wanna, have the one sibling? I just have the one sibling. Yes. Okay. Younger brother. Um, and kind of like your brother, he, he kind of is more the traditional route. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. but I want to know like where my pink city came from. Yeah. So, uh, we've always, you know, thought about, you know, doing a project together, um, you know, uh, in passing, like never, never, never a serious conversation about it. 
Uh, and the actual like legitimate spark was uh, back in 2014, I think February of that year. Uh, we ordered like clothes from a from an online store, and we got it in the mail. And like the sizing was kind of weird. The the coloring was a little off than we saw online, and like just like in like a casual conversation, we were just like, "Oh man, like we could totally do better than this. Like this is crap." Um, our dad happened to be in the room at the time, and my dad, uh, you know, so many fascinating things about him, but he's also been very entrepreneurial. Uh, for as long as he's been in Canada, he's always like had like these little entrepreneurial stints. You know, like he he imported thing, imported clothes for a time. Uh, he uh, back when there's a scooter craze, he sold scooters. Like he would have these little entrepreneurial things. So there's the entrepreneurship uh, is like very much in you got the spirit. in my family. Yeah, and so like he happened to be in the room at the time. So when we were like talking about like, oh, we could totally do better, he was just like, why don't you try? Uh, and we were like, wait, hmm, that's actually interesting. Like, why don't we try that? Uh, and yeah, like me and my brother have always been very interested in fashion, like back in the day, like, you know, I love like graphic tees and we would have like cool ideas and stuff, but never, never anything that like, came into fruition. But uh, that conversation kind of led to us doing a bit of research, uh, looking into it, seeing what we could do to like make this a reality. And this was February of that year. We only did a couple months of uh, research and we launched in July of that same year. That's so, so quick. We were really, yeah, we were really winging it like we didn't know how prepared we need to be how, how much we need to know um and we had to, at the time thought we could have uh the helping hand of our dad who you know was very uh knowledgeable in business stuff uh, uh at least more than anyone that we knew um uh, and he had uh experience with clothes um he had like imported uh stuff for, like zellers back in the day which is a oh, that's wild. name that you probably haven't heard in a long time yeah um <laughs> Uh, but it turns out that he actually was in China the entire time that we were planning this. So we actually had no uh, direct help from him. Uh, so we actually, which ended up being a blessing because we ended up doing all of the work ourselves. Um, and we ended up launching it just a couple of months later and, you know, uh, thing, things hit, things missed, uh, but eventually things picked up, uh, in our like second year. And then that, uh, became, uh, the pink city that, you know, today. And so the where name, does the, where does the name come from? The name is funny because it, uh, it 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 doesn't really seem to have anything to do with anime or gaming or street. Yeah, wear. it doesn't. As um, because like, it first started out, uh, actually, one of the shirts that I'm wearing is one of the first designs that we ever made. Yo, that's um, it's sick. a bunch of it's a bunch of red uh, red uh, pockets like stacked. Yeah, it's all the envelopes. And, and then, uh, yeah, it's all the envelopes. Um, that was one of the, if not the first thing I ever designed. Um, uh, and a lot of a couple of designs were like a like Chinese influenced. Um, uh, because we just wanted to wear like we just wanted to be like a streetwear brand uh, back then, yeah. Uh, and and so that's why I've kind of the name Pink City didn't really come from a nerdy spot. But the origin is uh, when thinking of a name, um, we were just like I don't know, bouncing a bunch of ideas back and forth. And then our dad suggested like, hey, why don't you use Pink City? Because he actually had the domain for Pink City. Um, what? Uh, he still owned it because way back in the day when we were like we lads. Uh, our dad, one of his little like entrepreneurial, was he just like, buying attempts. up domains trying to sell them? No, so he actually he tried to start something called Pink City, which was essentially before Yelp existed. It was essentially essentially Yelp, but for the Chinese community. So it was like how Chinese uh, people within Toronto could find restaurants, could find you know you know whatever like uh, entertainment uh, on like a website. And he tried you know putting something together, and he had the domain, but like it didn't really pick up. 
And something like that, you really need like a community behind it to really do. Work, to work, right? Um, so it, it kind of like flunked. And the name, like when he suggested that to be our domain, we were like, Pink City, that's kind of cool. It's kind of like, and like we imagined like mysterious. Uh, uh, Vice City, like uh, Grand yeah. Theft Auto, like the, the neon mm-hmm. uh, sign uh, where it was like the, the hot pink over black. And it was kind of like we wanted to, the vibe of our clothing company, we wanted to be like something that stood out uh 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 amongst like things that were a little more boring so that was like the neon pink sign over black um uh and so like the pink city uh and it was kind of catchy that kind of became our name uh then we took his uh we took his domain and it's still ours to this day uh pinkcity.ca the only problem was like uh, we shared uh we shared a lot of the pains of having a domain that used to exist back in the day because like i think we end up in a lot of people's spam emails oh. <laughs> uh, because of like all the emails he was sending out back in the day. Um, I think he just got probably like black flagged. Yeah. Flagged as something uh, bad, but uh, that's why we have the domain. That's why we have the name and it's, and it's stuck to this day. And it, it, it yeah, it, in a weird way, it, it, it still uh, represents our brand pretty, pretty well. I think that, that is better than I thought. I had, <laughs> what a weird origin story, right? I had, it's the, it's one of the things that I've been most curious about because if you yeah like yeah I've a lot of people look, are because they're like what, what I've been, the, I was like trying to look through the website and I was like am I just is this Emily like, is this going over my head am I missing something is I think uh, I think in the um, I like I might have bio. missed it no in the bio it's like a very poetic way of me of how I communicated the story that I just told you in a, in the fleeting shimmer of a fading dream Pink City was brought to life that quote at the very beginning of our yeah, bio yeah. that is referencing like. Also, like on top of all of the the like the logistics stuff about the website and stuff, it was also cool to to have known that our dad failed with this this pink city he tried to make, um, and it was like the idea of like us as his sons succeeding taking something with pink that city. yeah taking something that he didn't really uh, find success in yeah. and injecting new life into it and trying to make something out of it, and that was really cool to us. And I was like, we were like like we'd love to take the same and like turn it into something, like turn it into like this successful pink city thing that you tried to make. Um, so that poetic line in the fleeting shimmer of a fading dream. That's what you mean. Life, that's what is, a, yeah, <laughs> no actual details within that, but uh, yeah, that's uh, I mean, in the bio, there's like the father abandoned the endeavor and his yeah. two sons, Chris and Mike, like little, little uh, things here and there kind of reference it, but that's the actual story. But, but it's not like my dad tried to make Asian Yelp. <laughs> yeah, and, exactly. and and failed, but kept the domain. Yeah, so for many to, years to cause... honor our dad and his <laughs> his attempt. Pink City lives on and succeeds yeah. through fashion. Yeah, that's, and it's that's a very awesome. cool like legacy aspect to to the company too, um, because our dad and his like is just uh just even him in in our peripherals always being this like businessman. Um, very much influenced uh, the genesis of Pink City, um, uh, the motivations behind it, everything. Even him, as literal as like him being in the room when we were having the conversation, and like him yeah, saying, "Why don't you, you try this? it?" Yeah, like, try, like it all sparked it. So like he, he very much is like a a, a part of like the soul of its origins. Which was it? I think is very cool. Was it like oh, like 
bring Pink City back to life for me, or was it you don't have to pay for it? Oh no, no, he, it. he, you know, he didn't even. It wasn't even anything like that. He was just like, I have the domain. You can save some money. <laughs> yeah, okay, so I was like, I was like, is it, is it like, is it like the poetic way, or is it like the the Asian way that I'm thinking it is? It's is like it the Asian, Asian way? dad way of being like, like, hey, like, hey, like, hey, I pay for this. this. I have this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's a little shortcut. Yeah, <laughs> I, I had a super like completely unrelated aside, but I want to talk about the movie you made about your dad and your dad's story. But I yeah, was. Yeah. I, I work, I like I work from home, but the company I work for we have like an office downtown. And I, I went to work at the office last week and um one of there was a one of my coworkers is white. And you have to be in Toronto to know this, but like <laughs> she's white, she's eating food out of like a reusable plastic container, and I look at it and I see it's a kanji queen container. Oh and I'm just like in my mind I'm like Yo, I haven't met a lot of these people in real life. I'm like, don't freak out because one of your white coworkers has takeout Chinese food containers from oh a restaurant you like. But like, clean. but like that's that story. Sorry, I was just reminded of that. But that story yeah. about your dad and and Pink City is really interesting. Also, I get, I could see that he's like the entrepreneurial type, even just from watching that short film, Peter Praise. Yeah, about yeah. your dad's journey. Yeah. Can you yeah. can you tell the audience a little bit about that? Yeah, truly one of the hardest working uh, people. My brother and I, a person like my brother and I, know like ever. Like he, mm-hmm. uh, like the long long story short of it. Uh, so I in, in second year university, uh, I, I went to film school uh, at what was formerly Ryerson, is now Toronto Metropolitan University. Um, what happens to be my day job as well? I do I do video for their admissions, uh, marketing and communications. Oh, well, that's but, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I've been there a long time. Um, but I went to film school there. And second year, we had to do a character profile. Um, basically, do like a documentary character profile on someone we knew. Um, and obviously, the first person that came to mind was was my dad because of all the interesting uh, things about him. And and I hadn't known about his full story until my older years. Until I think I was like late teens, maybe early twenties. Yeah. He kind of sat us down at dinner and like told us. Um, but I hadn't known. But he uh, essentially his story, which which I communicated uh, in this uh, short little two minute film, which was a very condensed version of it. Uh, uh, it's on YouTube if you want to search up Peter. Praise. I'll link it in the show um, notes. Yeah, it's uh, and it's shot on sixty millimeter film too, which is I could tell. Cool yeah, yeah, very neat. Um, essentially, he uh, when uh, his parents divorced, um, all of his siblings kind of went with uh, my grandma to Hong Kong. And my brother stayed with uh, my grandpa, who uh, uh, had to stay in China. Um, and he apparently was uh, a pretty well-off uh, person um, within, I think, the village or wherever uh, they lived. Um, he had he owned like a factory. I think it was like a rubber shoe factory or something. Um, but when communist China happened and like the communists came, they kind of took everything away. The factory was shut down, and uh, they were kind of left with nothing. And my dad actually had to get sent to a camp to just do like just awful labor labor it's like shitty labor for for many many years um uh, and in the in the short he kind of says like he was like malnourished at the time which is why he believes he's so short um uh he's like five feet something like barely over five feet um and uh for many years he kept applying and applying to to get out of there to to join the rest of his family in hong kong um and finally one day he randomly got approved um, and so he essentially had to get smuggled via a snakehead uh, in the black of night um, on a little boat uh, to uh, Hong Kong 
Uh, and it was a very, very scary experience, but he made it. Um, what I didn't include in the uh, uh, little documentary short, because I think it was too uh, long and I had to cut it out. Uh, when he got there, he actually had like nothing. He had like 10 like, bucks in his pocket uh, and like not nowhere to sleep. And he just so happened to run into uh, uh, his mom just on the street randomly, uh, who found him, who also just, recognized him after many years of like not that's seeing fate. him. Yeah, that's fate. yeah. And so all of these like little miracles throughout that journey. Um, so it's just some context. My dad is a very devout Catholic, um, which is why I grew up in Catholic schools, which I grew up in like a private Catholic school. Uh, it was very much a part of my upbringing, uh, even though I no longer uh, uh, really practice any of that. Um, my dad throughout his life has always been very, very, uh, very devout. Um, and it's because um, his grandma was, uh, was religious. And throughout mm. this entire journey, um, she was like praying and, 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 and praying to God and being like, you know, if, if you can get my son or sorry, my grandson over here safely, like I promise he'll, he'll be like, you know, a good Catholic and blah, blah, blah. I'm like my dad, you know, experiencing all these things that could have gone wrong at any point. Very uh, much so, yeah. Finally getting there, uh, truly believed that he lived through like miracles, um, was baptized like the next week, um, uh, and has been like a devout uh, uh, Catholic ever since. Wow. Um, and I really thought that story was very interesting, not only just like his origins as like uh, why, because I've always wondered why he, he was like so devout to God. Mm-hmm. Um, and also his like... Uh, the smuggling story. <laughs> yeah, also, the fact that he was uh, smuggled. Yeah, it was also so fascinating. Um, and so the short film kind of uh, was combining the two, uh, right. uh, which is why, like, it was very cool. If you notice the music in that film, I got a composer to uh, combine, like, church music, like, orchestral church music with traditional Chinese music. So, like, you hear, like, the twang. I'll, I'll have to of, go like, back. Yeah, it's very cool. Like, I'm actually very happy with how the music turned out. But um, that's kind of the the vibe of that little short film so yeah it's 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 on the internet uh it's something i a story that i really wanted to tell and he was also also very uh very passionate about telling it um he says that he'd he'd love to write a book someday but uh his written english is so bad that he'll need to have uh someone to uh you should film it it and then it can be transcribed yeah yeah well i i need to find somewhere on a hard drive somewhere his entire like I think it was like an hour long where he kind of talks about it, like the, the uncondensed version of the story. Yeah. Um, uh, but it is very fast. There's like a lot of little little details about it that uh, that I couldn't include in the little film. But um, yeah, that story was just, it's just very, it just spoke to me a lot. It's just very interesting, very just like uh, to know my dad at that level and to know what he's gone through and like how that, informs how how he is and like you know how he parents uh um us uh which is so fascinating um and so that that short film is definitely something that uh remains and well i think will always be very important to me wow yeah that yeah that it's a it's a really good short film and it's a super sort of powerful story and it really reinforces you know the entire theme of this particular episode and it's like Familial stories have like a profound impact on the paths we take, right? If your dad didn't have that entrepreneurial spirit, you wouldn't be doing what you're doing now. There, you know, if it's, you know, if if like I wasn't super into, you know, learning about my family and culture, I wouldn't have gone into archaeology, 
And then if I hadn't oh. gone into archaeology, I wouldn't have, you know, probably wouldn't have worked in RPGs at all. And then yeah. I wouldn't have, Asians represent wouldn't exist. <laughs> it, I, my dad's story is not, not as intense as yours. I, it's interesting it, because my, he my was My dad's only, story is, is something that like many people. It's, but it's very common. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very common. Right? My dad's story um, is actually the opposite of yours, your dad's. Because you know how your dad was left behind? Oh, he was... My dad went to Hong Kong. Yes, yes, and, okay. And that causes a lot of like animosity with his siblings. Because my dad has two mm. older sisters. My dad is mm-hmm. the first son. And I am the first son of the first son. And when he was a baby, his parents, they went to Hong Kong and left the two older siblings in the village. They started like a jewelry shop and a family business in Hong Kong, eventually bringing over the two older siblings and then coming to Canada where they had another boy and another girl. So my dad's like one of five. Um, But he didn't have any of that sort of intense, like it wasn't smuggled or anything like that. It's interesting (laughs) because I I know very little about my dad. Uh, I think my dad's one of the coolest people in the world. I, I really look up to my dad. And as I get older, I realize that I'm becoming more and more like him um, <laughs> and cool. like in interests and, and stuff like that. Literally, like my my dad and I, my dad was like, Daniel, I'm going to get a lathe. And I'm like, oh, can we go make stuff? I'm like, it, it's weird because I wouldn't have been like that before. But mm. I I know my dad is like, I think my dad is really cool. Like my dad was an electrician. Uh, he worked at like the, he ended up working at like the Pickering A nuclear station, like, you know, here in Ontario. And he never went to, university. he's the only sibling not to go to university, but he became the most successful of his siblings because he's got that like immigrant sort of like hard work mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. My dad, his handwriting is so neat. It looks like typewriter writing. Oh, it's wow. weird. But I know all these like little tidbits about my dad, but I'd never really maybe had the courage to dive deeper. I know like funny stories about my dad getting into shenanigans in like, you know, in Toronto when he grew up. Cause my dad grew up in like Danforth. Oh, cool. <laughs> um, I have a, like a story, like my dad told me this story about how he like, he would get in fights all the time and how he would like, he would bomb his bike down this hill and he hit this old white lady with his bike and he like, she, she dragged him to jail or something. And the cops were like, what are you doing? <laughs> Like my dad got in trouble all the time when he was young. He's told me all these stories, but I don't know anything until recently that was kind of on the level of your dad's. And yeah. and this is the the point I'm trying to make here is that I think it's really important, especially now with like the pandemic and all the shit that's going on in the world, mm-hmm. that we ask, that we ask our parents about, you know, their lives. We ask our parents about stories. We ask, hey, what is that? that object that's just been sitting on the shelf yeah. for that long, right? What is that photo? And like, I'm sad that it took until like this year for me to learn because so um, last year, my my grandma, um, so my, my dad's mom, she fell down and had an accident and she broke her hip and she ended up being in the hospital. Mind you, this is during the pandemic for like a really yeah. long time in rehab. Yeah. And it took a really, really bad physical toll on her like she looks like half of the person she was before and 
it got to the point where we're like, okay, well, we have to move them to a new apartment. It's more accessible. We have to move them out of the home that they live in. And uh, so we've been renovating and like cleaning out my grandparents' home. And it's only now that I've been able to actually learn about them. Like I'm literally, my like partner and I, we're like going over every weekend to help like paint and like lay tiles and do plumbing. Nice. And we're finding all this shit and learning about my dad's childhood. And I learned that my dad didn't grow up in that house. It's a semi-detached house. There's like two houses. He actually grew up in the neighbor's house. Oh. And they were renting the neighbor's house. And my dad, who was like the only one for a while that spoke English, would shovel the their neighbor's sidewalk. And one day... The neighbor came out to my dad when my dad was 14 years old and was like, hey, can you get your dad? I want to ask him something. My grandpa doesn't speak English. So my dad translated. And the neighbor basically said, hey, we're moving. We want to sell you our house. And my dad, when he was 14 years old, basically (laughs) negotiates the purchase of of their neighbor's house. And that became his like the, the home of my grandparents for, you know, until like this year. And we were cleaning it out and we were finding all of this really cool stuff. Um, and so I got to learn a lot about it. I learned that, you know, this is a, it's like a three, it's like a two story house. It's got like a cool attic space. And I learned that when they first move in, they bought the house for $11,000. Can you like, first of all, $11,000. Oh, in this economy. Yeah, yeah, no, right? yeah imagine that. Yeah, geez. Right. <laughs> I, I learned that they bought the house for like $11,000 and oh. they rented out the first floor, like the, the top floor and the attic. And which is why there was a, a kitchen up there. I also learned that when my dad and my mom got married, they actually lived on the top floor. And that's mm. that's why they kept the kitchen. And I didn't know that my parents even lived there. Um, and I learned that they had my dad grew up on the first floor and in the basement. And the basement is actually where the kitchen is. It's like one of those, you know, old style houses. Yeah. And so we when we were cleaning it out, my girlfriend found this like thing, this like little like box it's like a velvet <laughs> box it's like hard and like open it up and it, it's beautiful whoa um and so this is like a uh like a metal hand warmer and it was like made in japan and my girlfriend was like do you want to keep this and i was like ah, like we're, we're taking all this shit like i have like boxes full of like old chinese <laughs> vinyl records like chinese yeah. operas on vinyl and like cassette tapes and stuff like that. And I was like, I don't want to keep that. It's just like another thing. And my dad just happened to walk into the room and he was like, oh, that's my hand warmer. (laughs) And I was like, what? And I learned that this is one of the few things that my dad brought to Canada from Hong Kong. No way. And his bedroom was this transitional room between the backyard and then the house. And my dad's room was literally like two meters by three meters. That was the size of my dad's bedroom when he was a kid. And it had no heating and no insulation. And my dad was like, when I slept, I used to hold this when I slept in the winter. Mm. And my dad straight up dead ass looks at me and he says, that's why I don't feel cold. <laughs> and I'm like, what the fuck? And I'm like, I'm keeping this. this. story for a superpower. Yeah. And I'm like, looking at this and I'm like, now this has, because of that story, this has an immense amount of importance to me now. And I learned all, like in repairing this house, I learned that my, my dad built the garage in the backyard when he was 15 oh, wow. years old. 
Jeez. My dad built the garage, but it was an illegal garage because it only because <laughs> yeah. it only because my dad didn't know how to get a permit. And so yeah. he asked the hardware store, how do I build a garage without a permit? And they said, you build it with it with three walls. And so the garage mm. only has three walls. Legally, it only has three walls. That's great. And my dad learned how to build it from this guy at the hardware store who only had three <laughs> fingers on one hand. That's how my dad oh. learned carpentry from a dude who's, <laughs> who's made all the mistakes. So cool. And I really am like upset that like it took me this long to kind of like learn these stories. Yeah. And in asking yeah. my dad, my dad was also like, I don't know much about my own family. Because I was, mm-hmm. I got all this, like this stack of photos is just all like from my grandfather. Like I have photos of the old newspaper. I have photos of my grandfather looking, like my grandfather looks like a, like like Donnie Yen when he was young. Like I've got, mm-hmm. I've got all these wild photos. Like this is a photo. This is like a, like a photo from China. Of my grandmother. And that's her family. I don't know who these people are. Um, (laughs) And it's, and my dad, I can see him. My my dad was kind of filled with a little bit of regret because he was like, I don't know much about my own parents. And I was like, you don't know about your dad? And same sort of boat as me. And I was like, why don't you ask? Because I've been asking my dad stuff. He's like, I'm I'm too scared. And I've been really pushing them. I'm like, no, you got to ask because like it's getting to that point, right? Yeah. Like how do we yeah. how do we preserve these stories? How do we pass them on? That's why yeah. I'm really happy to do this podcast because now I know that these stories, your story, there's some permanency to it now. Yeah, but also, yeah, it, it seems like this is like a recurring issue. I guess for, it's a generational for, issue for, of like yeah, rejecting with- the past. Yeah, and like only now that we're older, we're we're really appreciate these stories. Because again, same as you, I also don't really know too much about my dad except the little tidbits. Um, and until he sat us down and told us that story, uh, 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 not that long ago, uh, was when I learned his whole his whole insane story. Do you know um, what I I learned? I learned that I have family in the Philippines. <laughs> I have I have family in the Philippines. Um, I learned this. On my birthday last week, we were at my parents' house oh, and I was getting all this stuff. So recent. I was asking my dad about stuff. I don't know how it came up. I don't know if my, my Sarah can hear me, but I don't know how it came up. But apparently, and this is where, you know, like the legitimacy of stories, like, does it really matter or anything? Yeah, like that. yeah, yeah. But yeah. apparently, my dad's, is it my dad's uncle or his, his grandfather's? Okay, so my great grandfather <laughs> in China uh, basically was a successful entrepreneur, and he owned a bread bread factory in the Philippines. Right. And he would kind of split his time between China and being in the Philippines. Mm. And apparently, he had a secret wife. In the Philippines, oh, and a whole secret family there, and he was sending money back to China and supporting them here, all wow. like on the side. But apparently, <laughs> he sold the bread factory or something and moved back to China, and completely abandoned his family in the Philippines. Oh wow! And now this is where the story gets even wilder, and I don't know if this is true. Yeah. 
apparently his wife in the Philippines ordered a hit on him and had him <laughs> What? And my dad was like, I don't know if that's true or not. I was like, I want to believe, I want to believe that's true. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to believe yeah. that's true. I would love to believe. Yeah. Apparently <laughs> she ordered a hit on my great grandfather. And my great grandfather is wild. dead. Like I have no way of verifying. I know he's dead, obviously mm. he's in the past, but like I know he's apparently he was murdered or he there was a hit put out on him oh, wow. by his not even his ex-wife, his secret wife. Yeah. That's that's it's fucking wild. wild right what a story yeah it's, you can't make that stuff up or like, you can you, know, but, you like, can wow. but like who, who would right yeah. make it cooler than a bread factory yeah um, the, uh, it, that reminds me of another uh, uh friend of mine who uh is half asian uh and i believe like on her asian side she was telling me um uh that her uncle or something faked his death and it was what? like another one of these wild stories where like yeah he like faked his death everyone thought he was dead and then Years later, he came back because he was like trying to avoid something. Uh, and then he reappeared, and just like, what are these so weird like, stories? I've that, got, a, I've got yeah. another one. Oh my god, you just reminded me because everybody's got an uncle who's got a weird story, right? Yeah, so my, yeah. My yeah. mom's. Well, actually, of- I actually have two. One mostly, but an uh, 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 uncle that the other one is kind of uh, is long lost. Like we, no one in my family knows where one of my uncles is. Um, what to this day? Yeah, it's. Uh, I remember the last time I saw him was when. Uh, I was in like a transitional house between where I moved, uh, where I'm living now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's still in North York, but it was while this house was being built. Um, and I remember him in the lobby of that, uh, carrying out like a box or something. Right. Um, and I think that was the last time I saw him. But um, yeah, we have like a long lost uncle, which is also like a strange, bizarre thing. That's um, that's yeah, wild. No one knows where he is, and like I, 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 I feel terribly for my for my cousin who. Uh, you know, yeah. hadn't seen her dad in many years. Um, uh, apparently, uh, there has been some action to like investigate. Right. Um, uh, I think via her like um, friends who were like in the in like the police force or something. Um, and they actually tracked his like uh, license plate to somewhere, but like she like didn't want to like find out any further. Like she was just yeah. kind of like, I don't care to at this point. But what a strange. Uh, Whoa! I <laughs> yeah, I, right? I was gonna say I I have an uncle story, but it's not like that. My <laughs> just a missing uncle. Somewhere. My mom's so my mom's younger sister, her husband, so not a blood uncle, right? So my uncle, my mom's side of the family. We were at my grand my maternal grandparents' house in Mississauga at the time. Um, we were there for Christmas, and this was like oh well over a decade ago. He was, he was telling us a story about how one of his, um, I guess one of my uncle's siblings had a, I guess had a baby or something, and her her husband is Chinese, but the baby came out with red hair, mm. <laughs> and it was like, well, what's going on? Um, again, I, the rumor we were told it was red hair, but basically, the baby came out with like European, like features, like in hair color. Mm. Um, there wasn't an affair, but apparently, it was revealed that my uncle's, on my uncle, his side of the family, there was an affair up the line with a oh. European dude in China, Whoa. and then those genes manifested Whoa. in this kid. 
That's why. In like 2008. So, wow, so removed. To, to it's so that. removed. And like, I don't know like genetically how that works, but apparently. Yeah. There was like I know, I know like it skips generations and shit or something like that. But yeah, that's wild. There was, there was a scandal and it like. <laughs> it, it it like shook my it shook my uncle. I remember him being like, "Oh, I can imagine." Yeah. I'm like, he's he he was like, "I can't believe it." And yeah, it's it's wild when you learn those stories. Like my favorite one, and this is I have like, it's an interesting one given the context of like the world right now. My grandpa was like super into like kung fu, like on my mom's side of the family. Like he's he's like. He's not very mobile now, but the last time I saw him, I was I tell him I was like, "Yo, I'm like getting into wuxia now," and he was like literally sitting there and like because the, I have only ever talked to him through a window now, and he was just like whoa, 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 in the window. Yeah, and that's like because they owned so many Chinese restaurants. My grandpa, some of the restaurants that they owned, not all of them were really successful. Were in really rough neighborhoods, and my grandpa would tell stories about how he would walk around with like nunchucks in his back pocket. Oh wow! And my grandma. <laughs> would told my brother this story about how you know when they would be at the restaurant like they see some racist shit right yeah. like you know that generation you know we we don't i don't you know you our generation we learn we we unlearn that shit that it ends yeah. with with yeah. you know our generation right yeah. but um my grandma would tell the story about she was like you know what are the most important things to have at the cash register at a restaurant and I was like, I don't have money, <laughs> like a tip jar, uh, yeah. well, like uh, a lock for the register or what? And she's like, a rice bowl. And I'm like, yeah, same face, right? I'm like, what? why a rice mm. bowl? And she's like, you fill the rice bowl with salt and pepper. So when people get like in your face or don't want to pay or are hassling you, you reach under the counter, like you know in the movies when they reach under the counter for the oh gun. Oh yeah, like Except pocket you, sand. Pocket sand. You, when you throw it at yeah. them. That was like my grand, That was apparently my grandma's thing. Literally wow. at every restaurant they've owned, my grandma has always kept a rice, like a you know a Chinese sort like porcelain rice bowls. Mm-hmm, She's kept mm-hmm. a rice bowl full of salt and pepper by the cash at every single wow. restaurant she they've owned. And it's like, I guess if it works, it works. If it works, it works. But it's like these these little tidbits, and yeah. I want to it's, I want to tell them to as many people as possible, and yeah, I want to take them into you're, different media. Yeah, you're right. It's such a it's such a shame that we we only like now in our in our older as we're older, like truly appreciating these stories and getting to know. Yeah, because uh, you're right. We really do need to ask because like. They don't really have a platform to tell them unless you really ask. Um, uh, I think also to them, though, like the stories are supposed to be passed on when you have grandkids and you spend time with them because you have grandkids. Yeah. More and more, you know, our generation, we're not having kids. Yeah. And so. It's also like, again, going back to that big regret, it's just like how, how many of these insane, interesting stories do my grandparents have? That I'll never be able to really uh, know because of that language barrier, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Actually, another funny, funny thing that I only had discovered recently when I was looking for photos for uh, that documentary about my dad. Mm-hmm. I was looking through like old photo albums. I saw photos uh, and just a testament to like, you know, similar to you, like how little I knew about his history. Um, 
when he lived in China, there were, so there were photos from back then, and he was like a young man uh, in like a, tel- a TV studio, like behind a camera. Okay. And for me, that's obviously like, whoa, wait, whoa, like, whoa. Oh, you like, media a, guy? That's I'm you. In, like, I'm like a film guy, and like you were always like, you know, Dr. Lawyer, this is what you got to be. Like, do you have a background in this? Uh, apparently, for many years, my dad worked as like a camera technician that eventually evolved into like other stuff in a TV studio in China uh, uh, when he was young, like one of uh, one of his early jobs. And like, it's funny because then then I think like how that's affected his life throughout the years. And I remember like as kids and throughout my life, my dad has always been the one taking the photos of the family. Uh, He had the camcorder taking videos like we have so many tapes when we're younger. And that all probably stemmed from this experience of his life at this TV studio, which I knew nothing about. And like, I'm like, wild. I'm in film. And like, you, like, I had no idea. Like, you never thought to bring up that you actually worked at a TV studio when I was in film school. Because like, that's, that's totally something you so could have bonded wild. over. You could have bonded yeah, over. Yeah. And he never really brought it up until I saw these photos of him. And he's like, oh, yeah, I worked at <laughs> I worked behind the camera. And I'm like, and like, there were photos actually in this photo album of like, I wouldn't know them, but like Chinese celebrities that he took. Because they would pass through the studio. Uh, I don't know the names of them, and I, I, if I could find this album again, like maybe these are like actually like famous people, but like Chinese celebrities. Uh, he took photos of them because he like they'd pass through the studio, and he'd be like, "You want a photo taken?" Or for work, they would take photos. Um, and he has like the hard copy of these photos in this photo album. And it's just like, it's just like, dang, that's where like your your uh, uh, life around cameras kind of started, I guess. It's like kind of how it. Um... Um, it, it, there are parallels between your life and, and your dad's life. Yeah, and then it's just like now I'm like, oh my god, there's a lot more about me that is similar to my dad that I had no idea about now too, right? Pink City. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Pink City. Pink City. Yeah, it's just like it's like I would never have known this stuff if it just didn't come up. And it's just like, what are all these little gems that are hiding within our uh, within, within these generations of, of yeah? And how and how do they manifest in our life? Because I mean, I think it's yeah. very clear. For you, it's that entrepreneurial spirit. It's the it's the pink city. It's the and I, I think the one thing that I that I think is very clear with you is being your most authentic self. Right, yeah. you are you. You are not afraid to be like this is what I love, and you literally wear that. Right, this is what I love. This is like you're like this is the one of the first shirts we yeah. ever made. Yeah, first yeah. of all, it's fucking dope. Um, yeah, yeah, it is cool. Uh, uh, we don't sell anymore. It's it's 2014 shirt, but. Uh, it actually, it, it kind of uh, uh, related to that is where that transition to, because you're wondering where like the, the anime and gaming came Yeah, from. I want to know that. Uh, uh, came about the second year of Pink City because, you know, we kind of had these like cool streetwear designs, but then at some point we were like, uh, in an attempt to like try to stay authentic to ourselves almost. And like, uh, for a time we were also like, we didn't on our website, we didn't really put our names. We were just like, it was just like this anonymous brand too. Right. But then at some point, I think the conversation I had with my brother was like, what, what like successful brand or like thing that's popular do you know that doesn't have like, that isn't, isn't successful because you know the people behind it, you know, like there's like, there's the, there's a celebrity aspect to, to a lot of these popular Drake, things. Drake, OVO. Like, yeah. Like if in order for like Pink City to, to find success, like, Perhaps we need to be the faces of it. Um, so that was a whole conversation we had. And that's when we started putting like, you know, Chris and Mike Tongue, like by, yeah. by, by the Tongue Brothers. And then us ourselves putting out, us are, are, uh, out there more. And like, uh, you know, uh, uh, and, and it was in the second year we were like, 
we love anime and gaming so much. Like, why are we not incorporating that into our designs? Um, so one, there was a collection where we like, you know, did like anime stuff. Um, and that's when it really popped off. And then that's when like, you know, Jessica, Jessica Negri found us. Yeah. Uh, and then when, once she posted, like, that's when it all kind of like snowballed. Right. Um, and that was a result of us being like, we need to be authentic to, to what we are and like our interests and like, yeah, maybe when we were younger, we were a little ashamed of this like nerdy side of us that we kind of kept hidden that like, you know, like uh, guilty pleasures playing video games and stuff. But uh, now we are fully embracing it. And, <laughs> you know, like I never went to cons before that either. Like until that like second year of uh, uh, Pink City, I never really like knew what that was about, like cosplay, all that stuff. But then we were just like started looking into it, being like, this is like such a cool culture. Right. Um, and like really like, Going full force and like embracing that uh, was where we found uh, uh, where Pink City truly found its identity. I think I, I'm really lucky in that my parents they're super they're pretty traditional, but um, they used to take my brother and I to cons. They really I'm really grateful that. Oh, that's so cool! They kind yeah. of made it I wish I went as a kid. I used to, I've been going to cons since I was like ten. Like my mom, we we would go to Fanex, but we go we would. We, there would be like okay. basically well into my like teen years there would be like three cons a year be like toronto comic-con when it was independent because toronto comic-con is mm. now owned by like hobby star but originally yeah. toronto comic-con was actually owned and operated by a comic book store like in northern toronto called paradise comics oh wow and so we used to go to toronto comic-con my dad used to be friends with the owner of paradise because my dad being like <laughs> similar to yours like the entrepreneurial type my dad would be like oh my god like these comics are worth money and my dad would go (laughs) in and like buy expensive comics um like my dad's got multiple copies of amazing spider-man number one he's got one that's graded and signed by stanley whoa like my dad like legit like my dad's got um, something to have yeah my dad's got like a whole like whack load of them like whenever i go to a con my dad's like yo i'm looking for this check how much it is um Wow. And like we used to go to cons all the time. Like, so it would be Toronto Comic Con, uh, Anime North, and then Fan Expo. Yeah. And on the yeah. side, like I was playing D&D as, a, as like a teen and I loved it, but that was never really a thing at cons, right? It was really, no. I go to those cons because I, I love Marvel, like I love DC, and I <laughs> love anime. Yeah. And my mom, back when like Artist Alley wasn't as big of a thing, my mom used to bring this uh, like a cooler. And she would have like juice boxes in it and like peanut butter and like oh, jam sandwiches. Cool. And she would pass them out to like all the, <laughs> all the comic book artists. Oh, and that's so cool. Yeah, we used to go to all these cons. Um, my, <laughs> my, oh, we, experience. we went, there was the last, I think the last fan expo my mom went to with, with my brother and I, uh, we all met, um, we met two really prominent like Asians working in comics. Uh, Jim Lee. Most people like know Jim Lee. He's like huge, like you know, yeah. big exec yeah. at DC now. Uh, but at the time, he was just like Jim Lee, the artist. And I met Jim Lee, and I remember him being so nice to my mom. And then my mom randomly met this artist named Frank Cho. I don't, I don't know if you know who Frank Cho is. Is that the one who does uh, Chew? No. Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, Frank Frank Cho was like really famous for. Um, he was like a nurse. Um, I'm trying okay. to think of what his most famous sort of work would be he's he's known for um there was a series called liberty meadows uh that he did and he's really known for like drawing busty women 
Okay. Uh, but he was like one of the few sort of like Asians at the time. And he's done work for like Marvel and like the big houses. Um, and he's Korean. And he's at the time was really, he wasn't known for doing sketches for people. But my mom, I guess my brother and I were out doing stuff at the con. My mom was like wandering around and she ran into this Asian guy who she didn't really know. But he was like doing art. And she asked him without knowing who he was. Oh, can you do a sketch for my for my son? And he did a sketch for her. Oh, that's and cool. apparently this like caused a scene, and people were like, "Oh my god, Frank Cho did a thing for her." And I remember my mom coming back and be like, "Oh, I got this thing," and I was like, "What?" Um, but my parents <laughs> were like really supportive of of that when we were younger. That's awesome. I don't think they understand why I still go to them now. <laughs> yeah. But back then, I, I think they were really. Yeah. I'm really grateful that they were supportive of that. My parents even played D and D. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, I got yeah, my parents I, to play D and D. I would D&D. love to. I would love to run a D and D game with them someday, but I don't know if they could ever get into it. I, I, I'll say this: like, I had the same line of thinking, but you know, with the pandemic and all this random, mm-hmm. like this awful shit going on in the world, my thing, and not to you, but like to everyone who's also thinking, like, oh, I wish my family would try this thing that I love, or I wish my family would take the time to learn about my hobby. My thing is always like, have you asked? Mm -hmm. Why not? And at the start of the pandemic, when we were all on lockdown, like, you know, you, we both live in Toronto. It was like really intense here. Right. I don't live with my, I don't live with my parents. Um, but I was basically buying groceries for my parents and my brother. And we all live in like three separate homes. And, we weren't really connecting as much. So I was like, Hey, here's an excuse for us to hang out. We're going to play D and yeah. D. Nice. And we played. Had, yeah. I think you had mentioned this in one of your. Yeah. Podcasts. I mentioned this yeah, uh, like cool. uh, on a podcast a while back, but we, we played like a, like an eight to 10 session campaign. Oh, wow. Um, oh, and like my mom was awesome. like, my mom straight up was like, I'm going to be a cleric. And instead of like healing, can, can I do like, um, can I make kanji? And my mom was like, oh, I, like, I make kanji. And then like, I use goji berries. So I'm really into like, like TCM and uh, stuff. And my that. mom was like, and I was like, yes, of course. And my dad I is of course that. like, my dad was a barbarian. And my dad's like, they're going in and they're trying to talk. My dad's like, I fucking kill this guy. Like my dad, my dad is the player who just, I attack. Yeah. And my brother yeah. is the rogue. And my brother's like, I'm just going to do the opposite of what everybody else wants to do. And I had and I, I had the D and D experience. I had the quintessential D and D experience. That's awesome. With my family. Uh, I would love that. Yeah, I, 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 I've, I've mentioned it. They don't. They never seem too interested. But I feel like if I, if I have, if I found a, a, a simpler system, uh, to like to just kind of ease into like a tabletop RPG experience. Yeah. Uh, I would totally try that. Like maybe like Honey Heist or something. Something else like very Honey easy. Heist or, or honestly even a board game. Like even like a fantasy. Yeah, we board we game. do. We actually do. Uh, yeah, we do, we've done like uh, board like, games, like, like a narrative one, like a and, like if you just yeah, yeah, simple not... like Hero Quest or okay. anything like that. That's that, that's like that sort of gateway to D and D. Yeah, yeah, because they 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 do enjoy playing board games. Like we've done Catan nights and like. Oh okay. Uh, yeah, and during the pandemic, we tried pandemic, but like we lost. That's too real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's too real. That's too real. Um, but uh, yeah, something I would definitely love to do uh, in the future. Well, yeah, I mean, day, yeah. you got to do it. You got to do I it. Gotta, I think everybody's got to try, right? My goal is yeah. to get my parents to, like, I, I want to see if I can get my my dad to play magic. 
I don't think my mom would, Ooh. but I want to oh, see. Oh, I've tried teaching uh, my mom Yu-Gi-Oh! And it's just too complex. <laughs> you know, it's just like, Yu-Gi-Oh! Now is just so different, right? Because it's like, everybody's yes, like, turn yeah. one, turn one win. Yeah, yeah. Maybe if it was old it. Yu-Gi-Oh! She could, she could wrap her head around it more. But now it's just too intense. I, 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 that's the thing that's kind of like, I think... Also, my mom sold all my old original Yugi cards. Yugi cards at like a yard sale. Painful. Like I had like I had the Yugi and the Kaiba decks. Like you know, like everybody had it. My mom sold all of that stuff, and also sold a lot of my Star Wars action figures from when I was a kid at a yard sale for quarters. Um, I I will never forget this one day we had a garage sale and we had a book of like Pokemon cards we were selling, uh, and we were like. I think it was like whatever, a couple cents per card, except like holographics were like this much. Yeah. Um, but like we told our parents, like anytime anyone was looking to like let us know, because like we were inside playing stuff, uh, so that we could like come out and like, you know, negotiate. Uh, and then I remember one, like, you know, hours later, our mom comes in and she's like, oh, we just like sold one. Uh, and I was like, oh, like you didn't consult us. Like, what did you sell? And then we saw the guy like way down the block already running. He had bought our Charizard for like 10 cents. And I was like fuming. I was like, we told you to like tell us no. to like if anyone. Because like they were like, oh, like holographics or whatever, like this much or whatever. But like we were like specifically tell us because there are some in here that are worth more. We had a Charizard that got that got let go. And some kid like obviously knew it was a deal and like knew. got it and booked it. And <sighs> uh yeah that's how we lost our I, I, we still time. we still have ours we still have ours my oh. brother's got the binder um oh. we're gonna have to have a talk Sad. but yeah my brother has the binder i also have the binder of the original Yu-Gi-Oh cards too i don't know if those are worth anything anymore uh it depends like first editions are for sure yeah uh, yeah i have a lot of stuff like i've lost but also I, i've kept a lot of stuff yeah I, um, I sold a lot of my original magic cards too but they weren't like super yeah. super i mean were because i had to rebuy some of them when i got back into it <laughs> but uh it's yeah, it's wild to, you gotta hold gotta on to hold that on stuff to and like you gotta yeah. hold on to like little little objects yeah. that that have those stories from your family actually um, my uh i haven't talked about them too much but my older half brothers so they're yeah. about like uh 10 plus years older than us uh from my dad's previous marriage um but we see them once in a while like we have a good relationship with mm. them and, and even growing up we, we saw them pretty frequently um, which is great, like to have that relationship with them. Um, and they, when we were younger, uh, because I'm a '90s kid, so I didn't really, I wouldn't have gotten this experience. But they brought VHSs of G1 Transformers, which is oh. more '80s. Yes, more um, '80s. G1 Transformers to us, and like we, me and my brother were obsessed with Transformers. Like we, that's like our thing, mm. and that's always been our thing with uh, us and our half brothers. Like when that first Transformers movie came out, we all went to the together. Michael Bay one. Um, yeah, the Michael Bay oh, one. Yeah, yeah. Which, like, that movie you know, was whatever, sick. But, like, that movie was sick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it was fine. Um, but G one Transformers because that that's like a bit before, like slightly before our time, like before because I think our generation is more like Beast Wars. Um, well, Beast Wars, also Beasties. amazing. Yeah, uh, Beasties. Yeah, Beasties in Canada. But yeah, like we had a very unique experience where we watched all of the G one Transformers the movie. Um, and our most of our like classmates and stuff didn't really care for that kind of stuff, mm. like Ninja Turtles, like a lot yeah. of the '80s stuff, GI Joe. Um, uh, and I, I would attribute like my big love of like nerd culture and stuff uh, is very much because of my half brothers, uh, oh. because they were like cool, uh, older, a bit older than us, who like knew what was cool. They they got us into this cool stuff. Um, uh, my older half brother actually gave me just like a whole box of old comics 
Oh, um, that's cool. That I got into. Um, he got me to read the Civil War arc for uh, yeah, like Marvel. Marvel stuff. Yeah. Um, back when that came out, and just like that, like super got me into like reading comics. Um, so a yeah. lot of it was from that influence, and it's just like that maybe isn't necessarily an experience that most people have with like half brothers or or, or uh, things like that. Yeah, because so, that the, I really have lucky. a similar thing, but it's like aunts and uncles, right? Like I yeah. got into. I, I got into video game. My parents wouldn't let me, my brother and I, play video games. Yep, same. <laughs> uh, my aunts and uncles got us our first Game Boys. Uh, they got us an N64. Um, and so Never we got, had an N64. I've got my N64 plugged in right next to me, actually. Ugh, I, got an old, I had to go across the street to my neighbor's place to play I've Smash literally Bros. got a 12-inch Sony Trinitron TV that I, that I took from my grandparents' house when we were cleaning it out. And I've got it connected to an N64. Um, literally on a rolling cart next to my desk here. Uh, so, so, I, so fun Asian parent uh, story related to N64s. I That was the one thing as a, a, ch- a child that I always want, wanted. Like I was like, I need an N64. I want an N64. That's what I want for Christmas. That's what I want for my birthday, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. And they're always like, no, 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 no video games. No, no. not unless you get straight A's or whatever. Uh, and I was like close. I would have like one or two B's. Um, and I'll never forget one Christmas I got uh, under the tree uh just an envelope from santa that was my gift an envelope i was like what's this and i open it and it was like a letter from santa claus and it said you know merry christmas chris you've been doing great but uh next time hopefully you'll have all straight a's and not like one or two b's uh so no nc4 no n64 this year because of that and I was the, like, this is my uh, Christmas gift. And I was like, what a, what a Asian, whoa, that's the most gift Asian story. Yeah. And I was like, obviously I knew Yo, that wasn't that's Santa. That's worse than getting like, coal. Yeah. I was like, wow. Santa cares that much about my one or two Bs. Right? Oh my God. Uh, and like, I never ended up getting a, uh, a N64. But when I grew up a little older, uh, I finally did get all straight A's. And that was when PS2 was out. Okay, um, so we ended up getting a PS2 finally, with many restrictions on it. But uh, the N64 was like the one thing in my childhood where I was like, <laughs> I never had it, never experienced it, uh, except for like playing it at my friend's place. Oh my god! Uh, I would play Super Smash at my at our at our neighbor across the street, and he never taught us how to make, do Smash attacks, so we always won. <laughs> I remember playing Super Smash Bros at a birthday party for the first time before we got the N64, and it being like a game changer. And yeah. like for me, like nerd things all came from my aunts and uncles. Like I, that's, that's so cool. My uncle, same uncle who like my dad's younger, younger brother. So my dad's only brother. He gave me a copy of the Hobbit. Okay. Um, I still have that copy of the Hobbit. I remember we went to Costco for the first time and my uncle put something in the shopping cart. And, and I, I, I don't know why I remember this so vividly. But my uncle put something in the shopping cart and he was like, Daniel, this is for you. I, I heard this is good. And I look and it's like, you know, you know when they used to sell PC games in boxes? Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> it's, Starcraft it's, was. Yeah. Yeah. It's Halo Combat Evolved for the PC. Oh, and yes. For Costco. <laughs> and I played the uh, ever loving shit out of that game. Oh, that's so and cool. I remember beating the campaign for the first time on Christmas morning. Like, I remember oh. like. Waking what up and being like, I don't care about what's downstairs. I'm going to play Halo. Yeah. And I remember yeah. driving that Warthog and yes, escaping the, the Halo 
as everyone else in the family is waking up and I'm like, a core memory. Very, very core memory, but not as core as receiving a letter from Santa being Oh like, God, that will haunt me for the rest that, of my days. That, yes. That's gotta be, uh, that's gotta be the most Asian the thing Christmas. ever. Yeah. <laughs> that's gotta be one yeah. of those Asian yeah. things ever. Yeah. That's like, and it was, it was so frustrating. Cause I was, I, I was like, wow. and, 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 and throughout my childhood, I, I, I worked very hard because I think that was very instilled into yeah. us uh, by our parents, you know, traditional, uh, you know, uh, you know, way a lot of immigrant parents uh, behave uh uh in in really being very invested in your grades and how yeah. well you do like we did kumon we did we did like oh, kumon was a threat kumon was yeah, a threat yeah every day after school i'd have to have more school um but yeah it worked very hard like i i nearly got straight a's like across the board but it was like being like drama or like things that like weren't uh necessarily that's funny uh, considering what you yeah. do now yeah right yeah um but uh yeah that was the it was so frustrating because it was. I was always so close. <laughs> That's, I I never did well in school. See, I my experience really? was always the opposite, because I didn't know I had like learning disability like growing up. Because you know, mental health isn't something mm. that you talk about in families. No. And so, like, I no. never did well in school. I didn't start doing well in school until like university. Oh wow! Yeah, I actually yeah. hear that from quite a few people. Yeah, it didn't until I was able to kind of make my own decisions and thrive on yeah. my own. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Did I start yeah. to really do well? Um, yeah. But yeah, for me, it was the opposite. I was like, it was like, just don't get C's. <laughs> that, <laughs> that was the thing. It was like, I was never good at math. Actually, I only really got good at math because of D&D. Because uh, oh, it's like all the dice math, right? And I, when I grew yeah. up playing Nini, the first edition I learned was, the, was third edition D&D. So yeah. I'm like, math, 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 math. Because the character sheet was a spreadsheet and it's the only way I did well at math. It's the only way I really got into reading was like reading fantasy, playing D and D. And I think that's why my parents kind of enabled those nerdy hobbies, not because they understood it because they kind of saw the positive effect of it. Yeah. There's something in there to like, there's so many learning. There's so many learning things in there. And like, well, we're going to, yeah. we're going to do it. We'll have to do another episode on, on that. But really, I think as we kind of near the end of this episode, the the big takeaway here is that you know, your parents, my parents, you know, they carry really interesting and profound stories with them. Mm-hmm. Right? Stories are super important, not because they need to be real. Stories are super important because they build connection, build connection mm-hmm. between family members. They build trust between family they help teach and entertain uh, but also pass on values whether or not my great-grandfather was murdered by a hitman because he had a secret wife in the philippines <laughs> right whether or not that was true infidelity is bad or like you know salt and pepper in the eyes that shit hurts yeah right but but also like hey Starting a restaurant is a really good business for an immigrant because you know you can guarantee that your family is going to have food on the table, even if you don't have customers, right? And that's actually, yeah, I didn't even think about it like that. Right? That's that's the main takeaway. But you know, as we have more and more opportunity to create, express ourselves, and there are far more platforms for doing that, 
it's really important for us to take these stories and carry them into the work that we do. And, you know, just like pinkcity.ca, <laughs> carry on the legacies of those stories our parents have. Yeah, sure. You're not, you're not, you know, honestly, if your dad has stuck with Pink City, I mean, there's Fantuan now, right? Fantuan is like, <laughs> the Uber eats. you don't know what Fantuan is? Oh, Oh, maybe I've seen the... You've seen the drivers. The, they were the like cars, the, 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 yeah, they yeah, were the yeah, turquoise. Yeah, yeah. That's like yeah, Asian yeah, Uber yeah. Eats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like, have seen those, yeah. They ripped off Pink City, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. But like, it's cool, like hearing these stories and learning about how people carry them on in their work. And I am... We've never done an episode like this before. And I, I feel like I personally got a lot out of hearing your stories and hearing about you know, your journey oh, man, and your dad's journey here, and your yeah. family. I'm super grateful that you joined me for this conversation. I'm super grateful that, you know, I'm super grateful for like what you do. I'm I'm proud of you. I'm proud that like oh, there are you. people like the Tongue Brothers who are you know, <laughs> being themselves and putting out good shit. And honestly, that visibility, like you said at the beginning, is really important because yeah, yeah you're telling a, a story through fashion. You're telling a story through videography, photography. You're telling even a story. also the the community stuff that we do. Exactly, like we, we've always wanted to to have a be of space for people too. Right? Yeah, and and um, Pink City is like, truly a a means of giving people an opportunity to see themselves being represented somewhere, whether it be at a gathering, whether it be you know how important it is to see like Asian models wearing cool streetwear. Oh yeah. Like Ugh. that shit's so oh, cool. important. And you're doing that. And I I cannot thank you enough. Like I you know, when people ask me, oh, well, if I'm I mean looking, on the flip side, uh right back at you. Like, like we, we uh, do this all together, right? This yeah. is this is like uh not one person can do this kind of work. And that's why it sucks when we see people kind of fuck up. Right. That's that's what happens when that that's why there's so much pressure on us. Like, you know, yeah. talked about this before, yeah. like people of color, yeah. color, like whether you're creative or not, we don't get chances to fail. Oh, the bar is so much higher. The bar is so <laughs> much higher. And yeah. And luckily, you know, you're setting the bar really high. <laughs> I mean, just, just doing our best, like uh, like like we all are. And I, I, mean, I, I, I want to know what's next. I'm I'm eagerly waiting to see what you've got coming next. Like. Uh, I'm actually very excited for what we've got coming next. Not not in the Pink City front, but actually the Super Journey Dudes front, which is uh, the podcast that yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm working on. Um, that's probably the project that I'm most excited about because it's really combining uh, kind of all of my interests into one. Um, so I usually edit and produce this podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, I wasn't the GM last season, which was like a strictly audio D&D uh, &D thing. So we're playing Lancer this season. Oh, um, yeah. Which is really cool. If, for those of you who don't know, it's an indie uh, tabletop RPG where you're a mech pilot. Um, and the vibe is very much like Cowboy Bebop meets Gundam, where it's like... A, a, Have you ever hmm. watched the anime Gun Sword? No. That sounds You just awesome, described... Bro. Literally, is an anime where dude's got a gun sword, but there's this sword that comes from space, and it turns into a fucking mech. Oh, that's so sick. I, actually, a, a, the Gunblade from Final Fantasy VIII is to this day still my favorite fictional weapon of all time. Uh, just awesome. something cool about gun swords. Yeah. Um, yeah <laughs> but so, yeah, I want to know more but, about this. Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's like the, the, the vibe is like, like you know, kind of like how it would be pop, like very poor mercenaries who are trying to get by, except they have Gundams. 
Um, <laughs> and so, like, you know, there's, like, jazz music, so it very much has that, like, neo-noir vibe yeah. to it. Um, but uh, so I am GMing this season, and it, we're making a video podcast. Um, because I'm a very visual person, and, and I'm really taking my knowledge of, like, film and video, and I'm really trying to incorporate that into into this uh, production. So I'm actually putting a lot of effort into the production of this. So, like, I'm, like, in the middle of, like, editing the first couple of episodes and, like, adding, like, special effects. Like, we have, like, a like the battle maps, but, like, you know, when the mechs are fighting and putting, like, explosions and lasers and oh, stuff. Oh, that's sick. I'm doing a lot of cool stuff and, like, uh, we're getting music composed. So I'm putting a lot of, like, my film knowledge and film efforts into the production of this, I guess I could call it a show. Um, so it's taking a while, so it might not be ready for till maybe early New Year, but, like, that is like the one thing I'm very Yo, you just, excited about. You just let me know when it's out. We'll share yeah, that shit. Yeah, it's it's uh it's like yeah, we've played about eleven sessions and I've edited about four episodes and it's it's very, very cool. It's very slick. It's very if you like Cabo Bebop, if you like Gundam, it's very much down your alley. God, um, that all sounds awesome. Yeah, uh, that's the one project that I'm really uh besides the other stuff, you know, Pink City is always working on. Um, yeah. Uh, close. Uh, we got like a we got our next party. I think is uh, December 9th. We're gonna do a holiday party. Um, you know, always doing cool stuff on the Pink City front. Yeah, I think Steve um, went to your last one. He was there. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah, he asked Halloween. me if I was available to go, and I I, I had plans. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, no. He dressed up as the most hilarious. He's like an obscure video game character. What did from, he go as? I don't know. He 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 can say the spiel better than me, but it was I'll like him. him and and his partner were like uh, from a very obscure game, and he was like the final boss or something. But like the joke is that it's this very obscure game that you don't know this game. <laughs> I'll I'll ask him. I'll uh, ask him after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really good seeing him. Yeah, I um, I think I've seen Steve twice the entire pandemic, for like yeah, same greater part of like. Time. 10 minutes i think i spent oh. more time with you in the past in person the past three <laughs> years than i have with steve oh geez that's something to be said right uh, but, but hopefully hey hopefully more and more of those opportunities exactly and I'm you know what around. like this whole production asians were like speaking of production first of all let me know when that goes live i'm personally just invested yeah, in, in watching sure. that but I'll, yeah. we'll share it here too um yeah, thank you so much if you want to like come on asians represented in, in the future we do you know, I'll say this now. I know because I know you like anime. We have an entire anime show coming out. Oh, like we're gonna do I, a whole monthly anime oh, series. That sounds amazing. We're doing a whole monthly anime this, series. Listen, here's here's where I get sentimental. I've first time we here's where I get, here's okay. where I get sentimental. I've been watching you guys for 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 a while now. Uh, I've only been in the tabletop community since like 2019, but, mm. but uh, Agents Represent has been in my radar for a very long time, especially because I I personally know Steve. Uh, before all that yeah um and the stuff that you guys do is just like so incredible it's just like i've looked up to you guys as a platform for for so long that to finally have the opportunity to be here uh as you know oh. contributing a little bit to it uh is a huge honor uh so so i i would say you're that. not contributing a little bit you're contributing a lot <laughs> you contribute a lot look like we all we all high school musical one we're all in this together um but no, I I appreciate happy to you. be back anytime. Yeah, that's, that's my way that's, of saying. Yeah, no, I mean it. That was me also saying like, "Is very Canadian of us." Like, yeah, yeah, come on back. Hey, we yeah, got a whole yeah. anime show. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, no, seriously, we've got um uh, this. We haven't talked about it in detail yet. We won't talk about it until the se- season finale of this show. But we have an entire uh, anime series. It's going to be a regular anime series. Oh yeah, um, oh, yeah. that's going to be coming out next year. 
And we're actually, our next episode that's going to be on November 18th is going to be about designing anime-themed tabletop board games. Ooh, very and, cool. Uh, very cool. Yeah, we've got a couple coming out soon, right? Yeah, we've got a couple coming out. Like, and actually, the guest on our next episode, uh, Brother Ming, was one of the first guests on the Asians Represent podcast. Um, oh, the nice. last time we were talking about how making like knockoff anime board games and stuff. <laughs> so we're we're gonna talk about some serious stuff um, in a couple. Of weeks. I don't know if you ever saw um, on the Pink City channel. We did a couple of charity streams. I did a, t- a Pokemon tabletop. I I know uh, I know. That's how I knew. That's how I found out you were getting into tabletop because you were playing the Pokemon. Yeah, RPG. yeah. It was a very uh, reskinned like five E. Uh, very fun to do. Have you seen uh, the hack of the, the? Have you seen the Pokemon? I've seen. RPG? It got taken it's, down. It's didn't dance. It? it was dance. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, mine is essentially everyone's like a Beastmaster Ranger, and then yeah. I just have customized stat blocks for your pet, uh, yeah. slash like six of them for your team. Um, very fun, though. Very fun. But yeah, it's very easy to hack or make anime knockoff. It's <laughs> very you. easy, yeah. And, and, and we're going to talk about that next fun. week. Now, that said, this podcast very is very important to me. It's very important to you know our community and the reason why we're able to do and have these amazing conversations with folks like Chris is because of our, you know, amazing patrons. Now, our patrons make all of this possible. Our patrons are amazing because we're able to get, you know, a new microphone arm. We're able to expand the team. I'll say this now. The Asians Represent team is more than doubling next year. Uh, we want to put out more content and we up until now, you know, I've I've been doing a lot of the work and it's not sustainable. And I'm really lucky to be surrounded by some people who are very who very lovingly say, Daniel, you need to take a fucking break. Um, so we're really excited for what we've got coming up and it wouldn't be possible without the folks that we have on screen. And if you're listening to the audio, our our guardians, uh, Brooke, Jeremy, Pixel Grotto, congratulations on your engagement. Uh, Daisy, Arjun, Justin, Kavi, Matt, and I'm an ex, uh, Matt, someone who I, I see all the time at Toronto Cons, uh, Jay and Amanda, welcome back. And then, of course, our most honorable patrons, you know, Metal Weave Games, Andreas. Andreas is someone who I have not met in person, but I, I talk to, you know, on the regular, and I, I look forward to seeing Andreas and giving him a big hug at a con. Uh, same with Valorous Games, Liana. Uh, Liana is actually joining the Asians represent team. So I'm really happy. Uh, Liana's another one who's really being her, her like true self in her, in her creations, just like you, Chris, you know, bringing yourself and being your, your best self in your, in the business that you run. Um, so I'm just proud to, to know Liana. Uh, then of course, dungeon glitch slash Matt, always fighting the good fight on social media, the most honorable time to epic impulse. Love that person. Uh, and, and and Bob, thank you for your patronage. Thank you for being honorable patrons. I feel weird saying that. Um, thank you for just supporting this journey. And and to you again, Chris, thanks for joining me for this deeply personal episode of Asians Represent. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Uh, if folks want to learn more about these stories or see detailed photos, I'm going to make a video because Patreon actually just put out a function where you can upload native video there now. So I'm going to put, post a video and I'm going to go through this entire stack of photos and share that journey. So if you're interested, if you're interested in learning more, seeing, hearing extended audio uh, and seeing uh, behind the scenes, 
support us on Patreon, it it really makes a difference. Uh, but that said, thank you everyone for joining me and Chris for this episode of Asians Represent. Chris, this will not be the last time. Uh, we're going to do this again. We'll talk about anime next time. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, love it. And we'll and then one day maybe we'll do uh, we'll we'll do something at a con. I got to go to one of these oh, Pink City meet, awesome. like parties. I'm not like yeah. a I'm not like a super extroverted guy, but. I'll do it. Honestly, I'll do me it. neither. I'll do it to see you. I'll do it to hang it. out with you. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's um, do it. But that said, thank you, folks. We'll see you next time for another episode of Asians Represent. <laughs>